Well, in Rocky V, uh, if you have seen this series, uh, Rocky had just beaten Ivan Drago in Russia. Uh, was in uh, seen afterwards, and they had just gotten back to the United States, and they realized uh, that his brother-in-law, Paul, he had basically signed away the entire estate. And so they lost everything, had to move back to an old neighborhood, and they had moved into in Rocky II, if you're familiar with the movie, and and so they, were, they had to go back to this old neighborhood, exact same apartment that they were in before, kind of a, kind of a townhome kind of set up. And, and as he was walking his son to school, uh, the first day of school, he was telling him, hey, listen, you need to be careful and, and be wise. Watch out for the great deception, these, these lies and these cons that all these kids in the school that I went to as a kid would, would have to be able to, to uh, you'd have to recognize those and be able to navigate those because you don't want to be taken in and duped basically. Enter Tommy Machine Gun. You may have seen these movies. If you didn't, uh, I'll ruin the ending for you. They're old, so worth watching. But here comes Tommy Gun, and several times he asked Rocky if he could uh, spend time with him, learn that uh, Rocky would become his manager and teach him how to fight, box, and, and do all those things. And finally, after several attempts, uh, Rocky agrees. And so sure enough, they, they get to it. And as a result... Of course, you know it's a true story, right? I'm just kidding. So as a result, uh, Rocky uh, loses focus of his family, you know, his priority, and begins to focus on this Tommy Gunn. As he rises to the top, he begins to eliminate Rocky from his life. And so there's this uh, confrontation between Rocky and then his uh, middle school son, Robert, and they start talking. And and basically, it's a confrontation, and his son tells him, Dad, you told me about this deception, but you yourself have fallen to this deception. You've been deceived by this guy who's presented himself as something, and now you've forgotten who home team is. It's supposed to be our family. And so Rocky comes to his senses, and things get right with the family. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, we see the, the big street fight between The Rock and Tommy Gunn. Obviously, we know who wins. Rocky wins, and the day is won, and everyone's fine. This, this deception that he was under takes place for at least half the movie. In the letter of 2 John that we've been studying, the first half last week, looking at the second half this week, John warns the believers of these deceivers. This great deception was coming, these, these traveling preachers who would go to these areas, and the hallmark of the church at that time was to be extremely hospitable, to welcome these individuals into their homes, that they would begin to have influence with the church and spend time. And there were some who were actually going into those settings, traveling. When John wrote this letter, this, this traveling preacher had gone in and begun to deceive the people, basically altering the gospel and the truths of who Jesus was, and so John, as a response, as a reaction, writes this letter and warns not only the, the initial reader, but the entire church, you've got to re, re, remain true and faithful. You need to raise your guard once again and realize that the truth is being compromised. You, in essence, are being deceived. And you need to come back to the truth. And so that's what we're going to see in the second half of this letter uh, that John wrote to the church, which uh, 
there are a lot of practical application points for us as well in our world today. As we know, uh, the truth is being compromised globally in many respects. Uh, so today we're going to look at the needs for us, as was John writing to the church, to watch ourselves and to watch out for deceivers. Two basic points for us that we're really going to dial in on. But before we uh, read the word and before we get into it, let's pray together and, and ask the Lord to work. Uh, God, we say thank you for this morning and for this sweet time of worship. Thank you personally for bringing back to mind and heart those days when I was a kid singing that sweet song and seeing other believers engage you relationally, singing worship to you, all of our hearts bent towards turning our, our eyes and our hearts and our lives on and to you. God, I pray that the same prayer and same song is true of our lives today, especially as we dig into your word this morning, that you would speak truth to us, help us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we did last week, it's a rarity once again for us to be able to read either an entire book or an entire letter together in one setting. We are going to read the entirety of 2 John again because it's so short. Uh, again, that's, that's a rarity for us to be able to do, but I believe it'll also help with context of where we're going today, what John spoke of last week, uh, what we uh, preached on looking at those pieces last week that were so important. So let's begin in 2 John verse 1, and we'll just read through the whole letter. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the reading and the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So here we begin in verse 7 for today's message, recognizing that there have been many deceivers who had gone before and currently that there were these deceivers involved in trying to compromise the truths that God had taught, the truths about Jesus, and, and, and as a, a result, train wreck or shipwreck the church. Saying that, as we see in the latter part of verse 7, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And so, 
this false teacher who was with them, or these teachers, these individuals who were with them, said that Jesus actually, the Christ, had not yet come in the flesh. He was just a man. He was this person who claimed to be the Son of God, but he wasn't. And so for the church, or for individuals, or for these people to say that he was the Christ, he was basically doing what John had done in the entire letter of 1 John, and even in portions of 2 John, saying that by their believing that and stating that, that they were liars. And that if God made that claim, which he did, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, that God, too, was a liar. And so he was bringing this accusation or this charge against the church and saying, you are following a false gospel because Jesus wasn't really the Christ. And because the church was so bent towards hospitality, uh, being hospitable, loving people, they had that down right, they allowed this individual to come in and not only infiltrate the truths of what God had taught, but also to compromise the individuals and in saying this person, this teacher, is okay. And what this teacher is saying is okay. When the reality was that he wasn't okay, that this individual was compromising the gospel and the truth. The definition for deception is a person causing someone to believe something that is not true in order to gain some type of personal advantage. So these teachers, and we've seen it in our world today, were taking advantage of the hospitality and the love of the church for their own personal gain, and as a result, compromising the truth. And we've seen that happen over and over and over again. Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. There are some, and we know this is true, who have the full desire and hope that they can get believers off track. We've seen it even in conversations with individuals, but there are uh, well-known teachers, preachers in our world as well today who are trying to get individuals off track, saying that there's another gospel or adding to or taking away the truths of the gospel. So there are some pieces that we need to really be familiar with that we need to know as followers of Jesus, uncompromising truths. This is not an exhaustive list, but here are a few that we need to make sure that we are solid in, because if not, then we may be as susceptible as this church was uh, to falling to lies. Here are a few. Again, not nearly an exhaustive list. It would take us a long while to walk through that. But first, the Genesis account of creation. God created man and woman. Original sin and its effects on humanity that follows. That is one that we've got to have down. If we mess up Genesis, especially uh, the first three to four chapters, if we, if we compromise that, the truths of creation and what God has done, we will find ourselves without a solid foundation and begin to be weak in our approach. And, and other things that come along, these, these concepts and ideas that people give that are in contradiction to God's word, we may be able to, uh, be, to begin to, to believe and to fall prey to. The inerrancy of scripture, that God created all scripture. It's God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. That is important for us as followers of Jesus to hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, the Trinity, that God was before all, God in three persons, God, Jesus, 
the Holy Spirit before we see the creation account God was. That's important for us to hold to because those who say that that's not true and there's not a three-in-one Godhead like that that Scripture explains and, and shows us that compromises the person of either God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. And so the viewpoints of who God is for us as followers and what God's Word teaches is important. Jesus' virgin birth and deity. We need to preserve the truth of his divinity and the fact that Jesus was without sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. If we don't believe that, then the whole cross is compromised. The gospel is compromised. The substitutionary death that he died in our place, who knew no sin, he did that for us. There are some who were saying that Jesus didn't die for us in that time, in that place, substitutionary atonement, that he wasn't the one who substituted for us our sin being placed on him on the cross. That's important for us to hold to, that he actually did, that he was our substitute. The power of the blood. And I saw a really great uh, quote. I'm going to mention Alistair Begg twice today. This is the first time. He said, the divine detergent that washes away sin. I never really heard it expressed that way. I know detergent does cleanse and washes clothing and all of that. I just haven't heard it phrased that way, but that is the truth. Jesus' life and ministry in heaven, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return for us one day will happen. That is the truth of Scripture. There are individuals in our world who try to compromise that. Just a couple of more, again, not exhaustive as far as the list. Salvation is by grace through faith and not by works. Followers of Jesus have to hold that. It's salvation alone itself. We can't be good enough. We can't earn our way. And then uh, there are two destinations for everyone, and everyone will experience one time to die. We have one life, and then we die, and then we face judgment, and we either spend eternity from that point in heaven or hell. There are only two locations, two destinations for every individual who has ever walked the planet and who do currently and whoever will. Two destinations. That's an important truth for us to hold to, especially in a society and a world that can't buy into the fact that those are the two realities of destinations for individuals. You can see, you know, there are more. I'm sure as I talked about that, your mind's already circulating on some of the truths that you know of God's word uh, that we need to hold to as well. Again, not exhaustive, but it's important for us to know the truth and to know God's word. If we don't, we can easily be compromised, which means we need to spend time in it. Here's another quote that I think is worth, is worth stating. Living in the truth means loving in the truth, being loyal to the truth. If we are going to live in those and live in the truth, we must what? We must know the truth. And we're not going to have enough truth taught to us in the context of a Sunday morning message for 26, 28 minutes, whatever that looks like, to carry us through the entirety of our lives. We have to ourselves dive in the truths of God's word. If we don't, you know, as much as heard, and I didn't look up percentage for this message, but... Uh, you, you learn a, and remember a certain amount that you hear. If, if you write it down, then you remember more. If you begin to memorize it, obviously you go to the 100% line, you know all of it, and there are some stages in between, but just hearing, we lose so much, and even in that, at times we distort what we hear. I'm sure you're never guilty of that, neither am I. <laughs> just kidding, stories uh, sometimes change. So uh, we see this challenge in this initial part of the letter where John is telling them there are many deceivers. 
And this individual who currently is in your setting is deceiving you, saying that Jesus was not the person he claimed to be, who God said he was, in being the Christ. And so he says in verse 8, in the beginning, watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win the full reward. John was nervous about what he was hearing about the church, and they're buying into these concepts and these ideas that were not scriptural. And he was he was encouraged, encouraging them, challenging them to watch out for themselves and to not buy into what was happening. It's interesting, isn't it, that wherever truth is, false teaching also is. Where God's working specifically, isn't it interesting how the enemy goes on attack in those places and where there are individuals who are sharing the gospel effectively, false teachers quickly come along. It shouldn't surprise us. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's, it's not by accident that the enemy is warring against us and warring against where the gospel and the truths of God's word go. He's actively pursuing to steal, kill, and destroy John 10.10, 10, our very lives. Jesus, the opposite. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's his desire for us. But John was very concerned in hearing all of this that took place and not wanting them to lose the ground that they had been gaining on the solid foundation of their lives that they were building upon God. He said in verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So there were some who were compromised to the point where they stopped abiding in the Father and they begin abiding in either these individuals or the teachings or whatever they were saying. And It's interesting that John repeats the term twice in that verse, abide again. The importance of us abiding in Christ, remaining in him, resting in him, following him, loving him, him being our all in all. He, he is the one who gets that place in us. And if we lose that concept of and desire for and passion of maintaining Christ as the paramount one in our lives, the preeminent one, then we are in danger potentially of not abiding in him as God has called us to. And obviously, John was hearing testimony of these individuals in the church who were no longer abiding in Christ, and he had great concern, reminding them to continue to abide. And then we see in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So this, once again, key importance for the church of being hospitable and loving people and sharing the love of Christ and sharing the gospel, that being out front, John was telling them for these individuals, he wasn't saying don't be kind. He wasn't saying don't share the gospel. He was saying show it in kindness, share the gospel. But at the same point, don't allow these deceivers to come in and influence. You don't believe the lies that they're teaching. And in essence, as a result, you can still be kind, but the hospital hospitality part, being hospitable, allowing them to stay in their homes, uh, being involved in the church, them allowing these believers, allowing other believers to become integrated uh, with this uh, individual who's coming in and teaching uh, these lies, these 
these things that were in opposition to who Christ was in his word, he was saying, remove your hospitality from those individuals. Again, he wasn't saying, be mean, be angry, be, be ugly in your spirit towards them, but he was saying, hold to the truth, tell them the truth, and stop allowing them to infiltrate your ranks. He goes on from that and says, says this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So what was he saying? He was saying by, by these individuals who are allowing these false teachers to come in and infiltrate, they were becoming accomplices to the wicked works that these individuals were doing. And John was telling them, stop. Don't. Hold to the truths of Jesus. Share the gospel. Get back to where you were. And don't allow the progress that's been made in your life by abiding in Christ, by growing in the church, to be destroyed because of these individuals. John then continues, this heart of discernment, this heart of protection uh, for the church, which is uh, one of the key responsibilities of shepherds, leaders, teachers, elders, to protect the body, to hold to the truths of God's word. And if there are things that are happening, to recognize those and to call those out, John's heart should be the same as our hearts for the truth and for the people. Verse 12, he begins to sign off in this letter and says, though I have much more to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. In essence, he was saying, I, I am looking forward to the moment when I get to be back with you in person there. There's something about seeing you eyeball to eyeball that, that is so key. And of course, in the last five months, and even for some of our folks within our church family at Ridgeview that haven't been able to see us eyeball to eyeball because of COVID and, and they're missing that relationship. I sat with Charlie Losh for a little bit last week over at his place, had a great conversation. Of course, we've got to be six feet socially distanced, so in front of his his apartment complex area, there's a, a little glider rocker, uh, nice little shade cover. And so we sat, we've done that a few times since all this COVID stuff started. But he just shared how much he loves the church and how much he's missing people. But he's not in a position to be able to compromise himself to come back. There are many within our church family that are in the same place. There's something about eyeball to eyeball. So our work, our effort, even though we would say as John, we want to be with those individuals, those folks we haven't seen in person, because it's way better than paper and ink, we have to look for options and opportunities where we can spend time with reaching out to those with whom we don't see. It's one thing to have a thought of someone, man, I really miss so-and-so. It's another to pick up the phone and make a phone call, or do a FaceTime, or jot a note, or send an email, or send a text message. A lot of opportunities for us to reach out to individuals just to let them know, hey, we love you. Who have you missed? in the last four months? Have you taken the extra effort to reach out to the one that just came to your mind? It wasn't by accident that God placed that individual's name in your mind. It's for the intent purpose of you reaching out and encouraging them, saying, hey, haven't seen you, fully understand. I just want you to know I love you, I'm praying for you. Take the time to pray for those individuals. Okay, you can see John's heart, the same as ours. We can fully relate to where John was coming from with that. And we see the end of the letter, the children of your elect sister greet you. So uh, the church is greeting one another. Uh, very important. Uh, all of us um, should have, in the depth of our lives, if we have a relationship with Christ, a desire to know him more, to love him more, 
one of the ways we do that is by spending time in his word. We will never study enough. We will never know enough until we memorize the entire Bible cover to cover and apply every bit of it to our lives. We are all works in progress. We said that a bunch. One day we will know and we will be fully known in ways that we've never experienced when we're before the throne of God and we're in his presence. But until then, we continue to labor, we continue to work. There is no way we can know everything and apply everything in God's word to our lives. Yet, when we perfect it in his presence, obviously at that time, we will know him in a different way and our lives will be different. But this is the second Alistair Begg quote that I really liked because we can become discouraged in that at times. Gosh, I'm studying and the track of my life. I see all these great things that God's doing, but, but I've got this area, or I've got these three things that are just out of whack in my life, and, and I see God doing these things, but then those things that I used to be okay in, it, it seems like I'm struggling in. And then we start to have victory in those, and then some other areas of our lives start to show up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Every, every Christian, every follower of Jesus that I talk to, that I have an in-depth conversation about what God's doing in their life would say the same thing. That we're, we're just, we're doing great here. We're struggling here. Those areas become strong. Here's, here's what Alistair Begg said related to the truth. I don't know it all. Okay, Begg obviously knows way more than me. So he's saying he doesn't know it all. John obviously was saying the same thing. He said, I stand on the sand in front of the ocean with a bucket full, looking at the vast ocean in front of me and looking at the breadth and height and depth, knowing how much more there is to know in God's word. That's the way Beg approaches God's word. That's the way we should approach it as well. That we've got this little bucket. We're standing in front of the ocean. There's so much more for us to know, to learn, to apply in our relationship with the Lord from his word. So much awaits us. We all have a far way to go. But God is good. And in the midst of that, he continues to work and grow us and change us. All right, let's wrap it up. You know as well as I do, Scripture over and over again shows us, tells us, even from the beginning, we are made for relationship. We're made for relationship with God. He created us, creator of the universe, creator of us, wants a relationship with us and wants that to be the deepest relationship any of us ever experience were made for relationship with people. But when we build relationships with people, you know as well as I do, there are risks. When we expose our heart, when we open up our lives to others, we never know what's going to take place. Are the same closest core relationships in your life today the same as they were 10 years ago? Or have some of those individuals, maybe not because of conflict, maybe you've moved from a different area and some of those relationships have changed, maybe family, there's been some strain, or maybe you just haven't seen one another. And, and those who were closest to you at that time, compared to now, the, the field is different. The inner working of relationships day to day is different than wh what it was. That's normal. That's a normal part of life. Some of those relationships possibly were negatively affected. Something happened that caused conflict. We hear about it all the time. Parents with their kids. Kids get older, they decide to go a different direction, and they disappear relationally, want nothing to do with their parents. A divorce 
very challenging part of living our society. Two people who one day would have never thought that we're not going to be together forever. And things happen in the inner working relationship and you know, the relationship split and, and oftentimes reconciliation just doesn't take place. There are times in churches, when we've talked about this throughout the letter of 1 John as well, when catastrophic relational events happen. Church splits, people get on different pages. You have to know. The political piece that's coming. November. Even for the most prayed up is going to do some damage to the church. Maybe not our local body, but the church globally, because our world is divided, split. One of the great deceptions, I believe, is that we follow a king, the president, and not the king, God. What would John tell us today, leading up to November, even the primaries that just took place? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Get your eyes off of that. Now, we do have responsibility in voting, obviously. It's a privilege. Prayerfully, that'll never be taken away. We vote our consciences, obviously. But we need to be on guard that we don't allow a differing opinion or whoever is going to be elected. I don't know. God knows that. At this point, none of us do. Whoever gets elected, that we remember who's in charge and that God isn't taken off guard by anything, is he? He already knows who it's going to be. Regardless of the result, the challenge for us and the call of God in our lives is to trust him more because he's the one who knows. He's the king can't allow things to drop in and divide us, not just because it creates wreckage, but because it's a distraction to the gospel to the lost world. If the church can't get along, why would you want to become a part of that? I wouldn't. Watch yourselves. Watch myself. Keep our eyes on Jesus and watch out for those deceivers who say, the gospel that we know the Bible teaches is not actually the gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Let's hold to the truth. Let's hold on to one another as we hold on to the King.